On December 23, 1954, Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier, premiered on Walt Disney's Disneyland. This weekly program aired on ABC each week and served as a way for Walt Disney to highlight and promote his brand new park, set to open in 1955. Davy Crockett was an instant hit, and little boys across the nation now wanted to don raccoon skin caps and carry a pistol, just like Davy. The pioneering spirit of the westward expansion of America was a point of pride for Walt and many other Americans. Live-action features like The Living Desert and The Vanishing Prairie preceded Davy Crockett. Together, these films let the rest of America experience what life was like out west, in full color. In addition, they set the tone and atmosphere for what Walt wanted one of his five themed lands to be. Frontierland. Well, now you got into this mess by going down a waterfall. Now, how would you suppose we'd get them out of there? By going up the waterfall? That's right. Anything's possible in Disneyland. everyone and thank you for joining us on Up the Waterfall season three with your hosts Zana and Scott Otis. Hello. We are here to bring you Disney history deep dives from our own childhood experiences to hard facts and everything (laughs) in between and uh, we're excited to be here and be back to bring you the history, the early history of Frontierland in Disneyland. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm very excited for this one because, uh, as, as you mentioned, I actually kind of lived this one you a did. little bit. You're old. I am pretty old. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, basically some some uh, Frontierland pre-Big Thunder Mountain. Yes. So that's uh, kind of what we're going to be discussing I today. think that's a good uh, like chunk of time to discuss yeah. because really so much happened and so much changed in the early years of Disneyland. And certainly, you know, we've done Tomorrowland in 1967 before, which uh-huh. was like a huge change then. And I think this is a, a big yeah. time for change as well. Yeah, I've always been excited about Frontierland. And, and um, here at Disney World, uh, Big Thunder Mountain is actually my favorite attraction at, at Disney World. But I do have very faint memories of some of the earlier attractions at Disneyland. And when I started to do uh, some research on this, I couldn't believe it. It was uh, There was a lot more than even I had known. And really? I was quite fascinated by it. So. Wow. Well, I hope you'll share with the class. I will try. I, yeah. I'm always jealous of the fact that you got to experience Mine Train Through Nature's Wonderland. Yeah. And as pack well mules. As, oh, my gosh. You did pack mules, too? Oh, yeah. I guess I forgot that. Mule pack through nature's wonderland. Wow. Well, I mean, let's jump right in. What's okay. uh, first on your list? Well, I was going to say, um, I was going to read Walt Disney's original uh, proposal for Disneyland uh, for Frontier Country, which is what, what it was oh, then. Yes. Basically, where the stagecoach meets the train and the riverboat for its trip down the river to New Orleans. Along Frontier Street is a harness shop and a blacksmith shop. Livery stable, a sayer's office, sheriff's office, and the jail. You can get real western food at the chuck wagon and cowboy clothes, six shooters, or a silver-mounted saddle for your horse or po- or pony at the general store. You could buy saddles for real? No. Oh. This was the proposal. Oh, I see. Right, <laughs> There's I a shooting already. gallery, <laughs> the Wells Fargo Express office, and an old-fashioned saloon with the longest little bar in the world serving root beer western style. At the end of Frontier Street is the boat landing for the riverboat ride. The old sternwheeler takes you downstream on a, on a nostalgic cruise past the romantic river towns, Tom Sawyer's birthplace, and the old southern plantations. So, yeah, that was his original proposal for, hmm. uh, for the Frontierland uh, section. And I was thinking about it. If you uh, look at the original dedication for Disneyland, Frontierland is actually represented in the ideals, the dreams, and the hard facts that created America. It's really kind of that part, especially yeah. the hard facts that you had mentioned before. Well, not all of the hard facts, but some of them. That is true. That's funny, though. I said hard facts, and he said hard facts. That is we right. didn't even plan that. 
That was from the Disneyland dedication. <laughs> but anyway, there was actually a, supposed to be a Frontierland dedication as well. So mm. uh, one that Walt actually uh, approved, but it was never installed. Hmm. And that is, here we experience the, the story of our country's past, the colorful drama of frontier America in the exciting days of the covered wagon and the stagecoach, the advent of the railroad and the romantic riverboat. Frontierland is a tribute to the faith, courage, and ingenuity of the pioneers who blazed the trails across America. Is that in the Walt Disney's official Disneyland album thing, you know, when he oh, goes yeah. to the different... Uh, that no, or is that a different? Narration? That is a different narration. Okay. Yeah. So there's even more. Interesting. I won't get into that one though. Because That's fine. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of narrations, but yeah. Hmm. So it kind of gives you an idea of the you know the whole idea of Frontierland, as you had mentioned. A lot of the films, you know, the westerns were a very popular genre, and certainly Walt Disney had gotten into them as well. With as you mentioned, Davy Crockett and the King of the Wild Frontier. Zorro was a very famous one, of course. Even animated Pecos Bill. Texas John Slaughter and quite a lot more. So just the whole idea of the westward expansion, you know, uh, lawmen up the, in the old west, and you know, even cowboys and Indians back in the day. It was a wild frontier. That's right. So yeah, that's kind of the idea. Uh, but um, when Disneyland opened, you know, fr uh, Frontierland was actually the largest of all the original lands. It was mostly piles of dirt, wasn't it? It really was. <laughs> um, yeah, when you walked in, uh, the ground was dirt. They did have um, kind of like uh, wooden sidewalks on mm. the sides. But yeah, the middle of the street was dirt. It didn't last too long, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it, probably not easy to keep up. If you actually look at the original artwork of Frontierland, uh, they actually have Indian encampments right outside the fort, um, right there, um, right by the hub. And, you know, uh, that kind of clashed with the whole idea of Main Street, so that didn't um, last. Mm. But they did actually install um, kind of like artificial tree stumps to give you the idea that these were the trees that were uh, cut down yes. to create this fort. Hmm. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, they actually did rebuild um, the fort in 1980 and 1992 using 700 Ponderosa logs. So, so that's when you enter it now? That's what's yeah, there, but it fort. wasn't there originally. Oh, no. The fort was there originally. Oh. But it got uh, replaced a couple of times. But it gotcha. was interesting that they actually had, like, the wooden logs, mm. um, like the, the tree stumps. Yes. Right there. I'm not sure how long those lasted before they were replaced. Um, but it kind of gave you the idea that, like, there was an, you know, with, with as I mentioned, the original uh, artwork with the Indian encampments right there, there actually were Indian villages farther in. Yeah. And, and they actually were moved several times. And I will get to that in a little bit. Another thing that they were going to have is the, um, a, f a Frontierland Miniature Museum. I don't know if you remember, uh, some of the inspiration for Walt's original Disneyland w was his uh, fascination with miniatures, and he actually had created, like, Granny's Cabin from So Dear to My Heart. Yeah. You know, remember the dancing man that we've seen in uh, One Man's Dream? Mm hmm He was going to have those in a little Frontierland miniature museum. He that was actually obsessed never, with miniatures. <laughs> I know. That actually never came to be, but hmm. they did have a Davy Crockett museum instead. How have I missed this? Well, it was gone by the time <laughs> you went there first. But they actually had wax figures of Davy Crockett and Georgie Russell in there. Like life-size? Yeah. Weird. That people could go and uh, have their photos taken with. <laughs> but actually, um, the real-life um, Davy Crockett and Georgie Russell, played by uh, Fess Parker and Buddy Ebsen, you know, they actually went to Disneyland. They were there on yeah. opening day. Um, they actually rode some of Walt's um, retired uh, polo ponies hmm. up Main Street and into Frontierland, as you'll see in the opening day special. Um, they actually did a whole routine there. But the, there would be several times where um, those two would actually return to the park and just kind of like, you know, meet their adoring fans. Because That's literally, to think about. Davy Crockett and the Wild, uh, King of the Wild Frontier premiered earlier that year. So it was the hottest thing ever, as you had mentioned in the intro. Yeah. Um, so when they showed up, yeah, uh, it was all bets were off. 
but they would even also have like a Zorro, Guy Williams, mm-hmm. who played Zorro, would, would come and um, do the same thing. So they had all kinds of live characters. Uh, that would be like Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany just showing up. That's right. At, in Tomorrowland? I don't know where um, they would show up. I'm not even sure where they Avengers would show up. Avengers Campus when it opens? Or maybe the studios in their different yeah. time periods. Who knows? Weird. I mean, I guess Johnny Depp has done it before. But yeah, he has. He was away from the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so as you can imagine, it's just uh, crazy to have that. But, you know. It was the very beginning of the theme park, and so there really were no rules. That's true. Um, they actually had live characters, like um, there was a sheriff, uh, Sheriff Lucky, Black Bart, mm. and even Pecos Bill, as portrayed by Wally Bogue, who was in the, oh, yes. the Golden Horseshoe show. He actually created kind of some of the live shows out on the streets where they would maybe have shootouts or things like that. So let me ask you this, okay. and this may throw you for a loop because it's not Disneyland, but how much of this do you think was inspired by or, you know, borrowed from um, Knott's Berry Farm? Um, I would which say... existed before this. It did. Um, I would say... Big Western. You know, Walt and Walter Knott were actually friends. Um, they weren't just like bitter rivals right. or anything like that. Um, and so, he, you know, Walt... Disney went to uh, Knott's Berry Farm to check it out and see what kind of thing was going on. But he had his own, you know, he, yeah. he had done plenty of movies by this point. That's true. Um, plenty of experience. And I, you know, I think he probably took some ideas on maybe uh, like crowd control and things like mm. that. Um, but they did have like an old West town out yeah. there and, and you know, the old Calico mine something. and all that. Yeah. So I, would I say, always wonder that. And I expected it to be in that biography that I read. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't. So that ah. made me think it was even more of like, no one talks about this. <laughs> I would say uh, there was probably some inspiration there, I would say. All right. Um, but another <laughs> thing is they actually had a miniature uh, horse corral, kind of where the... Uh, Frontierland Shooting Gallery is now. Hmm. They they actually had a miniature horse corral, not a not a small horse corral, but a horse corral with small horses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah, that was actually um, replaced by the sh- uh, shooting gallery in 1957. But anyway, so a couple of uh, opening day attractions. Let me go through some of those. Yes. They actually had the Disneyland Railroad. And if you think about going through uh, the front gates of Frontierland, if you go all the way to where the railroad station is now in New Orleans Square, mm. that's how big Frontierland was. Wow. That's there wasn't a lot way deep down that way. Right. But there was uh, the railroad station, and there were actually only two stations when the park opened. There was Main Street Station and this Frontierland station, and there were only two railroads that operated as initially. But um, And what they would do is there would be one train that would be designated um, for each land. Ah. And so it would only stop in one place. Weird. And you would load for that one, and you would do a full circle. And at the actual train locations, they actually had a second track for you to pass the other train. Hmm. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. And so in the one for Frontierland was actually the CK Holiday. And the... the um, the tr- um, the cars that the passenger or the guests would ride were actually cattle cars where you would stand up. Yeah, that's insane it, to think it, about. Yeah, and I think we'll actually include <laughs> s- uh, some photos of that. It's absolutely nuts. And I don't, that didn't last too long. I'm and sure. And they eventually installed <laughs> uh, seats. But even so, with the seats, because of how cattle cars are, there wasn't a lot of great visibility. Mm. And so it didn't take too long before all of that was replaced by regular cars with regular seats the way that we now know. Um, but they also have, of course, had the Golden Horseshoe Review. Yes. Um, and actually, the the theater itself was designed after the, uh, the movie Calamity Jane, which uh, came out in 1953. And Wald actually saw that movie, and he told... Um, Harper, Harper Goff. Goff, he said, hey, I want you to watch this movie and design this uh, theater after this. But he didn't know it at the time, but Harker, Harper Goff was actually the art director and set director of that film. What are the odds? <laughs> I know. That's funny. So he actually, that was actually pretty easy it's for like, him. like, I'll do this in five minutes. Exactly. And if you actually look at it, it's in the shape of a horseshoe. What? 
Yeah. Wow. And Walt and uh, Lillian had their own private um, box right yes. up next to the stage. Um, and, of course, just a couple of days before Disneyland opened, they actually had their 30th uh, wedding anniversary celebration there. Um, where that they was where he climbed down from the box? Uh-huh. He'd had one too many... Yeah, because they they um they started out on Mark Twain and they did a, a, a trip around along the rivers of America all around Tom Sawyer Island. Where actually everyone kind of went to one side of the boat and <laughs> it was kind of listing That's towards funny. one side. And he realized we need to have stuff on both sides of the boat so that wouldn't happen. Mm. Uh, but yeah, then it ended up at the Golden Horseshoe Review, and that was actually Wally Bogue and. Um, uh, Don Novus, and that was their first kind of run through mm. of the Golden Horseshoes um, show. And as you said, yeah, there was one too many sarsaparillas, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> some hijinks ensued. Mm. But um, so that was a very popular show, the Golden Horseshoe uh, uh, Review. Yeah, that actually ended up in the uh, Guinness Book of World Records for the n- uh, longest running stage show in history. And you have a personal connection to that show, <laughs> which I know we've told before, but I'm going to make you tell the story again. It is fun. Yeah, I saw it when I was a, a kid. Um, Don Novus was eventually uh, tra- uh, changed out by Fulton Burley, another Irish tenor. But um, it basically starred Wally Bogue as Pecos Bill and the Traveling Salesman. Uh, at, and by this point, Fulton Burley. But then Betty Taylor was their longtime slewfoot Sue. Mm-hmm. And there was a... a a scene in the uh, show where she would actually use her mirror kind of to shine a light on an unsuspecting guest and then go down there and plant a big wet kiss on his cheek and uh she chose me and i think this was like my seventh birthday or something like that so i was (laughs) real young super embarrassed um but yeah that was actually my first kiss (laughs) it was from betty taylor There's Long a little time. plaque there that says <laughs> that, I think. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. But, yeah, yeah but it's just, it's amazing to me to think that I have actually seen, you know, Wally Bogue perform as uh, Pecos Bill in that long-running show. And yeah. it was just an awesome show. If, if you uh, listen to the 50th anniversary of Disneyland, the, the, the six-CD set, one of the tracks is literally the, the entire show. Wow. And it's, like, my favorite track. It It's just awesome yeah lots of fun songs and stuff oh yeah and basically the whole show of the Pecos Bill Slewfootsu and uh, his whole traveling salesman bit mm-hmm. and actually um, when he was doing that show he actually kind of as I mentioned before improvised the, the street scenes because Walt said hey when you when you're not doing the show you should uh, come up with some of, uh, some of these ideas and so that's when he came up with, you know, doing Pecos Bill and Black Bart out in the, uh, oh, yeah. out in the streets and things like that. And so that actually led to, um, you know, some cowboy uh, stunt sh- shows that have lived on through the years. Mm. So, yeah. Another uh, opening day attraction, of course, was the Mark Twain steamboat that I had mentioned before, yes. which was an authentic replica of an 1850 sternwheeler from the Mississippi River. You know, Walt was a huge fan of Mark Twain, mm-hmm. and uh, and the they actually, if you think about it, he and uh, Samuel Clemens were both. Um, they grew up in small town Missouri, um, Mark Twain in Hannibal, mm-hmm. and right on the um, Mississippi River. Uh, Walt was more of interested in trains, uh, but Mark Twain, of course, was fascinated <laughs> by. <laughs> Sternwheelers actually took his name from uh, you know the de- one of the depth callings Mark of Twain. the yeah <laughs> and no it, yeah and that's part of the narration of that uh, of that awesome attraction yeah. it was the whole th- the whole thing and actually used him as one of the um, narrators of that you know Mark Twain itself Mark Twain narrated the Mark Twain yeah that's or, crazy. or I should say Samuel Clemens did like the real Samuel Clemens oh no. No, like they, ha- they an ha- impersonator. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I believe he was no longer with us at the, at the point. I don't know when he died. Sorry. But anyway, so the the um, the hull of the uh, Mark Twain was built at uh, Todd Shipyards in Long Beach, California, to um, authentic detail. But all of the rest of the boat was built on the studio lot, 
And then they brought the hull to Disneyland, and they brought the uh, all of the other parts from the studio, and they put them together, and they fit perfectly. All right. As you would imagine. And, of course, the Mark Twain was christened on the, uh, the opening day broadcast by actress Irene Dunn using a... Um, a giant champagne bottle filled with not champagne, but water from rivers across oh. America, including the Mississippi. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, another thing, and this is where it really gets exciting on opening <laughs> day, is they had um, the whole Disneyland stage line, which oh, actually right. included stage coaches, uh, Yellowstone coaches, Surrey's, Conestoga wagons, buckboards, and buggies. Most of which were actually used in the parades. Mm. But the stagecoaches and Conestoga wagons, that was one of the main attractions at Frontierland. Along with... Are we going to get to some mules? Pack mules! <laughs> <laughs> or the mule pack. Yeah. Opening day attraction. Yeah, Walt actually bought uh, 30 mules for $50 each. They only had 15 <laughs> wow. saddles. Yeah, and they were actually super cheap. They, And even their feed was super cheap. Uh, but they only had 15 saddles. Uh, but what would happen is they would uh, have um, basically state, or, uh, like 15 mules divided by two, which that's not seven and a half, but <laughs> I think they would have seven in one mule train and, and eight in the other mm-hmm. with a, like a like a stage, uh, like a stage hand or a like a boss, a big guy, mm-hmm. to kind of take them along. Um, but they only had 15 saddles. So this was a very slow-loading attraction, as you can imagine. Basically, like, uh, only seven people getting on and then walking as fast as mules do through the whole thing and then back. And hmm. there's only two sets of those. And then uh, there and was then a. They needed their union break and yeah, switched and, out. And then, yeah, right at about <laughs> halfway point of the day, they would uh, switch out the two sets of mules to the other set. Um, but yeah, well, that was one of the things that Walt really wanted for his opening day um, is to have something like that, very authentic. Yeah, old I mean, West. I can't imagine them happening today. Yeah. And it's amazing how long the mule pack lasted. Right. It went all the way, I believe, till 1973, which is like a super long time. This says February of 1956. Is that wrong? Well, no. It That's when it changed. Oh. <laughs> that's okay. Um, when did it change? Oh, I'll get to that. Oh, I'll get okay. to the whole change because, yeah, basically this is just opening day. You know, they're scrapping along, trying to get all of these uh, attractions open because the park really only took a year to build. And so that's why opening day was so rustic looking, so dusty and all of that, because they literally were just, you know, trying to get by. Yeah, and it had never been done before. And they didn't know what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. They hoped everything would work, but some stuff didn't. So the opening day, when I mentioned that they had stagecoaches and... um, Conestoga wagons and the mule pack that they actually went on three separate tracks right and with the uh, the mule pack being on the innermost circle and the Conestoga wagons which was a little bit slower would be on a on just outside of them and then the stagecoach went alongside the rivers of America and it was the largest kind of circle and they actually went pretty fast uh, so fast in fact that it actually tipped over quite a lot <laughs> Oh, my gosh. And if you can imagine that. I cannot imagine yeah, that. like Lawsuit Central. Yeah, wow. Like you right know, next to the river. Especially as high up as like if you're yeah. the right. You know, first off, you got a bunch of people inside the stagecoaches. Oh, my gosh. With not the best views. And a couple of people riding up on top with, <laughs> with, the, with the driver. And, yeah, when those things tip over. Yikes. But, you know, I bet no one even thought to sue back then. <laughs> no, no. They were just like, this it's is basically, great. Here, have a, have a free day pass yeah. for uh, to come back exactly yeah there actually were a few occurrences where a guest would f- be flung into like a river <laughs> or like a body of water Yikes. whoops yeah and you know so it's just weird to think about the olden days so after that um yeah 
Was that it for opening day? Really? Things? For opening day, yes. That was pretty much it. But so the big, kind of the big draw, well, I mean, I guess there were quite a few big draws, but the, you know, mule pack was just something, a unique thing, like a tactile experience. Yeah, for sure. Um, that and the Mark Twain and the Golden Horseshoe. But then, uh, you know, Walt wanted more traffic on the river. And he, you know, he had some ideas. Because first off, there's that island in the middle. And he's going to work on that. But he wanted something <laughs> even quicker. And so he, uh, on Christmas Day of 1955, the Mike Fink keelboats opened up. I've never experienced those. That is unfortunate because those are awesome. I was always scared to do them here in the Magic Kingdom. Oh, that's too bad. And then they were gone. Yeah, they did not last uh, too long after that. Um, basically, as I mentioned before, the the Davy Crockett had just filmed and it had just aired. And actually after Walt, I'm sorry, after um, Davy Crockett passed away at the Alamo, spoiler, um, they actually, it was so popular that they needed to film a couple more and like kind of went back in time and that's when they did the riverboat ones. Oh. Uh, yeah, with Mike Fink keelboats. And they actually took the actual movie props, the two keelboats that Mike Fink and Davy Crockett race as, and they brought them to Disneyland. And it took a while, but they were able to first get one. They actually, it was the Gully Wumper. Which is a great name. Oh, yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's historic. Um, they took that one and actually made it the Bertha May. What? And it was the one that came out first. But it was the it was the Gully Wumper from the movie or the, the TV show. And they turned it into Bertha May at, the, at Disneyland. And mm. they started out with just that one. And the other one was actually, um, it was stationed in Fowler's Harbor. I know it well. Yes. There's some chowder there. Chowder. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, basically to increase um, traffic on the river. They uh, did that, and eventually the the second um, Mike Fink keel boat opened, and then they were both going across. Actually, um, um, they actually the drivers would sometimes stage like little jousting things, like on stage, mm. where they would kind of uh, similar to the hijinks that you would see in the actual movie or oh, the, yes. the TV show um, where they would actually get dunked into the water. I think that's why I was scared to go. Um, did they do that in Magic Kingdom too? No, by that time, oh. no. That was just in their early, early, early days. Hmm. <laughs> well, I remember them uh, like, would they make them go back and forth? Yeah. Like that's what was yeah. scary to because me as a they child. Were, a they child. seemed very top heavy <laughs> yeah. because they they went up pretty high. And then on top of that, there's a couple of rows of guests yeah. sitting up on top. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a very strange looking boat. We'll have pictures if you uh, watch the live show. That's true. Um, the video. You or mean. the video, right. <laughs> I um, mean, it's live right now. But it, it's interesting because just like the stage coaches, just like the um, Conestoga wagons and the Mike Fink keelboats, there are some passengers or some guests who actually had less than ideal views by being placed inside. Mm. And then they also had um, seats on the outside. And so you always want those. Yeah. So you have the better view. That's more reason to come back again and get oh, the yeah. better seats. I think that exactly. was a constant theme. But so then what happened in 1956? That's the thing. See, in <laughs> by this point, Walt Disney had realized that Disneyland was a success. It only took like uh, till September of 1955 for like the first million mm. guests to uh, go into the park. So by this time, he knew this thing was a success and he needed to plus his park. And so he wanted everything to be better. And so he had a huge idea for Frontierland um, to install the train. The, um, well, actually, not just the train, Tom Sawyer Island, as well as the train. So basically, um, they actually had, I believe in April of 1956, right next to the, uh, the Mark Twain um, landing, they installed a gigantic billboard advertising the opening of Tom Sawyer Island. They said to kind of coming uh, June 1st. Mm. Yeah, and it was a huge um, thing. As I said, it was like 10 feet tall. 20 feet wide 
and it just basically showed all the features that they were going to have on this island, which up until that point was very rustic, and they didn't have anything on it. Mm -hmm. And so when you went around the Mark Twain before this, you'd be looking at really just an island of trees. They did have a couple of uh, waterfalls coming off of it, but not much more than that. But anyway, so um, Time Sawyer Island was actually designed mostly by Walt Disney himself. He uh, actually took home a, a piece of paper and basically drew the way it should be. And he told his designers, build this. He and would know. Yeah. And if you think about it, Time Sawyer Island is kind of like the perfect attraction. All other attractions, they kind of like, you know, everything's predetermined for you, what you're going to see, how you're going to see it. Time Sawyer Island, you go out on a, on a raft and you basically have all these possibilities. You can turn left. You can go right. You can go through a cave, or or not. And do what see you want. A fort. Yeah, and so you know, for the, for kids, this is like the perfect thing. Um, so it actually opened on June sixteenth, nineteen fifty six, and it was actually attended by um, winners of a Best Tom Sawyer and Best Becky Thatcher contest that they had in Hannibal, Missouri. How fun! Yeah, it was won by uh, Chris Winkler and. Pervalu Smith, and actually appeared at the opening of Time Sawyer Island in costume as Tom Sawyer and Becky Thatcher, um, and they christened the raft with another bottle with um, water from rivers around America. Uh, they added sand from Jackson's Island in Hannibal to the, uh, the actual island itself, and they got a personal tour of the island from Walt Disney himself. Wow. Yeah. But if you think about some of the awesome features they have... Injun Joe's Cave, yeah, with the bottomless pit that has a bunch of weird wind noises that, mm. is it wind? Or is it a lost Injun Joe? I don't know. Very, very scary. Yeah, very spooky. Uh, but there's lots of narrow turns, you know, split sets of halls, crawl spaces, and uh, false passages. It's always fun to kind of get lost in there, in my opinion. <laughs> But yeah, they had a fort, a fort wilderness. Um, oh yeah, the original fort wilderness. Ours is Fort Sam Clemens. That's right. right. Uh, and of course, they had the escape tunnel out of the fort. Mm, yeah, that kind of goes out the back. Uh, Castle Rock. Uh, castle Rock Entertainment. No, <laughs> <laughs> at a rock that was kind of shaped like a castle. Ah. That's the thing about this Tom Sawyer Island. There are all kinds of fun. Uh, like little hidden passageways, yeah, tunnels, to kind of, yeah, tons of entrances, even like back doors, um, you know, hidden hallways. Just it was so fun, and it still is to this very day. Um, but they also had Tom and Huck's treehouse up on top of um, Point Lookout, mm-hmm. which once the treehouse was built in nineteen, I think fifty-seven, that was actually the tallest point in Disneyland that a guest could get to. Uh, They had the merry-go-round rock, the suspension bridge, the barrel bridge, which Mm. came in 1957. And it actually opened with a bait and tackle shop that you could grab a fishing pole, a can of worms, and fish off of, you know, they actually stocked the rivers of America with fish. Very 1950s. And you could catch a fish. You could, if you caught it, you could keep it. And they would wrap it up in a newspaper. That's crazy. And eventually it got to the point where, you know, they started finding abandoned fishes all around the park. Because, you know, it seems like a good idea at the time, but then you're kind of walking around a fish all day. Yeah. And so the policy changed to, no, you can't really keep it unless you really, really want to. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, and so it opened with two rafts, the uh, the Tom Sawyer and the Becky Thatcher. And then eventually by 1957, they actually increased it to four rafts. With They added the Injun Joe and the Huckleberry Finn. Hmm. And there were various uh, landings, both on the island and um, yeah. on the other side, that they would go to. And, of course, they also had the Burning Settler's Cabin, which wasn't accessible from the island itself, but if you uh, went around on the Mark Twain, you'd see you it, see it yeah. on fire for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
They also, as I mentioned, had included, they changed the mules, the pack mules, to the Rainbow Ridge pack mules. They added the little mining town of Rainbow Ridge at this in, um, the entrance area. I love rainbows. They actually, at this point, got rid of the stagecoaches and the Conestogo wagons. They were no more. They did not last that, that long. That makes sense, because they were probably more trouble than they were worth. That's right. And so they added the Rainbow uh, Caverns mine train. So now you've got a mine train and the mule pack. Tell me more about this mine train. I'm sorry. I should say they actually did have the the wagons. That was for the next expansion that they lost. It was at this point that they had all of them. I feel lied to. No, no. I'm just a little mistaken. There's a lot of history. (laughs) Uh, So here they actually added the Rainbow Caverns mine train. Um, And so basically now they actually use the same pathway. Of, of each other, the stagecoaches oh, and the, okay. the Conestoga wagons. The mule pack had their own, but they added the um, the ring or the arch, the natural arch bridge mm. that at one point the, um, the the elevation change for the mule pack was quite a lot because mules can are very sturdy footed and they can handle it and they go up quite a bit and at one point they go over a natural arch bridge over the trains and the, the stagecoaches in a very narrow passageway. Wow. But it was quite high. Um, and so the people in the train were told not to toot their whistle at that point because they did not want a spooked oh my gosh. mule. And like, I wonder yeah. if they learned that the hard way. I hey, don't think they learned that one the hard way. Toot our horns. But anyway, <laughs> so the Rainbow Caverns Mine Train to open on July 2nd, 1956 um, is part of a it was four hundred thousand dollars of this um of nineteen fifty six dollars of mm. this expansion it was a seven acre attraction wow um yeah as i mentioned they included the little mining town of rainbow ridge that was added right there at the front which you know you can even see parts of to this yes, day and at here. the Bill, big thunder mountain that's right uh, a lot of forced perspective was used there. Uh, but anyway, they, the cars themselves, they were dark green in color, both the locomotives and the, the passenger cars. And at this point, it's, there were four total cars with um, five cars in each of, of passengers. But what's interesting is when you're waiting in the line, you would see the train coming out of a tunnel from the right and then going into a tunnel on the left. Or like a, a, a mine shaft. And so you really couldn't see what was back there. Mm-hmm. But it was so expansive and so huge that it was just really paid off. Um, basically, you would go out by the river uh, over a bridge and you'd see all kinds of animals. And then off into the very back where they actually had um, the Rainbow Desert with all kinds of um, things as like the uh, old unfaithful geyser, a bunch of cactus that was um, kind of shaped like maybe people, mm. uh, colorful mud pots called the devil's paint pots, balancing rocks. And these were actually neat because the, they would blow the whistle and these rocks would actually kind of, that looked like they were balancing. They would like start they would spinning spin. yeah. and look like they would maybe fall on the guests. Whoops. <laughs> And then the fun part about this is they they would go then through the Rainbow Mountain into the Rainbow Caverns to see uh, Rainbow Falls. And this was the neatest thing because um, it was was like the coolest thing, both literally and, you know, just very cool. Because you go into the dark and using black light, they would have all of these water features. I think there were like 22 water features in all, including waterfalls, pools. Uh, things like Bridal Veil Falls, uh, Staircase Falls, Silver Threads Among the Gold. I want to go there. And Rainbow Falls was the coolest part of all because they actually had eight different colors all in one waterfall. And you would think, <sighs> how can they do that? How can they make it so that the waters don't run into each other and create one yeah. giant thing? <laughs> but they found a way. <laughs> I believe that was uh, Claude Coates who came up with that idea. That Claude. That's right. But it was just the super coolest thing. I really, really wish I could see it. This is very depressing for me. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) We can probably watch old videos and see. Well, um, from 1977, though, there's probably not that many. No, probably not. 
But yeah, uh, this that'll get into the 1960 expansion with this oh. particular one. Because okay. well, um, yeah, there is pretty. one more thing. Uh, and actually, at this point, in the uh, they actually had either the 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 engineer of the train or the the brakeman in the back would give a live spiel. And at some points, they would have like bobcats trying to pounce on you, and coyotes, all mm. kinds of fun animals. And these um, these trains were actually not authentic steam trains, even though Walt wanted them to be. But the Orange County officials actually had issues previously with um, the actual Disneyland Railroad and the Mark Twain uh, steamboat being actual steam engines and maybe being run by people. Oh. They didn't want these ones to be run by people who were not trained to do so. Interesting. I always wondered why they were not full size. Yeah. So there you go. But they were made to look, of yeah. course, authentic. Um, but anyway, so as the years progressed, Walt wanted even more traffic on the rivers of America. I want more traffic. More boats, please. So <laughs> at this point, we already have the Mark Twain. We have the, the two uh, keel boats and the rafts going back and forth. But Walt wanted more. So he ordered for the Columbia, the SS Columbia, the sailing ship Columbia a full-size replica of the first sailing ship to carry the stars and stripes around the world. Which is what you tell me every time we go on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Plus, you know, I know the whole spiel. Yeah. Um, but it's set from Boston Town, the original one, in, in 1787. But not from then. On a three-year journey all the way across the, uh, the world. And they didn't have no Panama Canal to go through. They had to go around... Both capes, Goodhorn and Hope. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah, sorry. You can look Horn it up, not. and Good Hope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's where the Columbia River, and uh, that separates Oregon and Washington. That that's where it got its name hmm. from. That sailing ship. I guess you did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, and so. That's just a nice big full size steam sailing ship that goes through, and of course, if you now know, they actually have a below decks museum that didn't open until 1964. Oh, really? So you couldn't go down there, not or originally. it just wasn't a thing? It was just not a thing. They you had could a, go you know, down there, and there was nothing there. No, there, you could not go down there. Ah, they opened that later. Okay, I will say, if you're listening to this and you have not been on the sailing ship Columbia, you are doing yourself a disservice. Oh, a huge disservice. It's really fun. It really is. And I it goes love around and they do the actual, well, not actual, I guess, but like the cannon shooting thing. It's very loud. I love it. But they warn you so you can cover your ears. It used to be they would do that cannon and you would hear cannon uh, coming back from oh. the from the fort on Time Sawyer Island, but they got rid of that feature. Wow. I missed everything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Lawsuits. Continue in your historical right. tour. And now is the time for the big expansion. By this point, Disneyland is just pumping on all cylinders. <laughs> and so Walt, you know, he, he's got his, his brand new train, uh, the mule packer going strong, and but he wants it to even be better. So, you know, he's done these um, live-action uh, true-life adventure films. And he wants to use these as his inspiration. So Makes he basically, sense. once again, for 1960, he completely redoes this whole area. And this is where they get rid of the stagecoaches and the Conestoga wagons. They are to be no more. And it's just going to be the mule pack through Nature's Wonderland as well as the mine train through Nature's Wonderland. And these is, this is going to be inspired, you know, it's originally already inspired by the Living Desert. But now they're adding Beaver, uh, sorry, Beaver Valley, Bear Country. And Olympic Elk, maybe even the Vanishing Prairie. And this is where they add Cascade Peak, a lot of people's favorite feature from um, the Rivers of America, this gigantic mountain right alongside the rivers where they had uh, t uh, twin waterfalls coming off of it where the, the train would kind of go behind the waterfall right alongside the river. Just the coolest thing. I love Cascade Peak. <laughs> I know that and you do. They had critters even up on top of there. I'm seeing that on this yeah, fun little, map. I believe, uh, mountain goats. Mountain goats. Yeah, but so for this expansion, they actually uh, added over 200 animals, and this is essentially the 
I know a lot of people say the um, Enchanted Tiki Room was the beginning of audio animatronics. And some even say, you know, the rudimentary movement of some of the animals on the Jungle Cruise was from that, from opening day. But here, this is actually the first usage of the term audio animatronics, which has officially been, um, you know, it, it was in a few articles. <laughs> but it, it wasn't as complicated as the the birds would be in Enchanted Tiki Room. But mm. they had over 200 animals added to this expansion, including tons of bears, beaver, as I mentioned, elk. Um, they were kind of like button horns, the way they do. I don't know what that in, means. In the rut season. Oh, oh I see. Budding horns. Budding horns. You know, button like horns. Budding their the giant rack on top of their heads. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so basically you would go, um, you'd have the same entrance area, but they did kind of rework the entire track to do a giant figure eight um, through here. But you'd go through that uh, initial uh, mining town Rainbow Ridge, which was even expanded more to go all the way down by the rivers of America. And you'd go through a tunnel and enter Beaver Valley, where they just had animals galore, like a. a I can't tell beaver. you how upset I am that I have missed this. Fish, <laughs> all kinds of. Why things. have we done this episode? I'm very upset. Oh no, there's so many sorry. bears in this. Is this like accurate? This yes. map thing. This it's is absolutely how many? completely accurate. We'll we'll, we'll definitely put include this on there, but an image of that. But yeah, there's so many. Yeah. As I said, over 200 animals were added to this uh, feature. And wow. so you could even see the, the little track layout How of where the... How long was the ride? Well, at this point, it was actually nine minutes. And you think, eh, it doesn't sound too long, but it it was seven minutes before. Hmm. And the, both of them ended up uh, going through Rainbow Caverns, which was, of course, a lot of people's favorite parts. Um, but, yeah, they made it a figure eight to make it last longer. And so they expanded the, the Living Desert or the Rainbow Desert part of it. And they added, um, as I mentioned, Beaver Valley, Bear Country. And as I mentioned, after you went around uh, Cascade Peak and underneath those twin waterfalls, you would enter another tunnel and you'd pop out of that tunnel, which you've seen before. I have. That tunnel that they still have right across the way from Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. And they had and went over a giant trestle where you would uh, enter bear country and see bears, you know, like doing all kinds of things, you know. Bear things. Yeah. Fishing, trying to catch fish, scratching, sleeping, all kinds of bear hijinks. There were quite a lot of bears. (laughs) And then you pass those, I mentioned the Olympic elk, the that were budding horns uh, doing their thing. And then you'd go past some pronghorn and you'd see the natural arch bridge from before, which originally had two holes in it, one for the train and one for the uh, the stagecoaches. But the, the stagecoach one now actually featured a river, kind of like a lake slash river going through there. And they still had the mules going up overhead. Wow. And this is where you would enter the rainbow desert part. Where they even expanded, you know, all the different rock formations and uh, animals, some of which they've uh, kept to this day in the Big Thunder Mountain area. Like when you go up that first hill and you see like rattles, rattlesnakes and turtles and and goats. Mm. Yeah, they had that. Bobcats trying to jump onto the train, all kinds of things. Plus those geothermal features. The bubbling mud pots and all that. Well, then why isn't it still there today? I know. That's the unfortunate part is after a while, yeah, nature did its own thing onto, you know. A little too main- much upkeep. Yeah, maintenance, you know, kind of drifted a little bit. There actually were some very interesting things that happened when they first opened. Uh, you know, because Disneyland was still new, some, you know, actual live critters would find their way into this faux desert area Fun. and see like like a roadrunner or a, you know some bird there and attack it oh, thinking no. oh easy prey and then <laughs> whoops so the the maintenance folks would sometimes come and see a mangled critter that That's they would funny. have to replace yeah they eventually figured out ways to make that not happen Hmm. but uh yeah you know i think uh 
you know, after the years went by, yeah, the maintenance on some of the the critters just didn't keep up. But also, um, you know, other theme parks low, uh, nearby, such as Magic Mountain, Notch Berry Farm, they started adding thrill rides. And so they kind of got under the pressure of needing to add thrill rides. They had already just uh, added Space Mountain by 1977. Disney World had done one in 1975. And so... It was yeah. Tony Baxter's time to shine. That's right. I guess I should be grateful. He kept as much of the original sections that he did. But yeah. I still wish I had seen it. Uh, I do miss it so much. Um, but there actually qu- were quite a... Um, a few other things. I want to talk a little bit about some eateries that they had in Frontierland because they had quite a few. Um, that have changed quite a bit over the years. Yeah. First <laughs> off, they had the plantation house or the chicken plantation, which was right up by the Rivers of America, essentially kind of right where New Orleans Square is right now, like Weird. right up on, by the river. Hmm. So, like, where the walkways are now, wow. in front of New Orleans Square, there was a giant chicken plantation there, right alongside the river. Had wonderful views of the river. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely amazing. Um, but they served chicken, of course, fried chicken <laughs> uh, by the Swifton Company. Um, it was removed in 1961 to make way for New Orleans Square, which would not open until five years later. There's a whole story with that. But in our uh, New Orleans Square episode. Well, New Orleans Square is part of this, too. Because as I mentioned before, in the, I think, the earlier, the, 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 the treatment for Frontierland, the words New Orleans were used. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they take the riverboat down to New Orleans. But anyway, where um, the, the riverboat terrace is now, or wh- River, I think it has a River new Bell? River, River Bell Terrace, I apologize, <laughs> which I think even has a new name since then. Hmm. That was originally Aunt Jemima's Kitchen that served pancakes. And Aunt Jemima was there. And Aunt Jemima was there herself, yeah, basically signing <laughs> autographs, taking pictures and all, doing all that. <sighs> but if you, if you look at where um, the restaurants are now, in between that and where now is the Golden Horseshoe, not just where the Stage Door Cafe is now, but even before that, there was another place that had another restaurant that was originally the Casa de Fritos, where they served up the Mexican food. And, and delicious and Fritos. Delici- uh, Fritos, and where they had that fantastic kind of vending machine where you could go in there and, and see the Frito Kid, oh. and where he would call back to Klondike and say, you install <laughs> a nickel, and he'd say, another bag of delicious Fritos coming up. <laughs> it was absolutely craziest thing. And if you look at it, the the fun, cool statue—not statue, not statue uh, the the figure of the Frito kid—it's mm. just the wildest thing. <laughs> Eventually, the Casa de Fritos moved to where the uh, Zocalo, you know, the area is the Rancho, Rancho del Zocalo. Del Zocalo. Zocalo. Um, I love it, it moved there. there, and in its place, actor Don DeFore from the adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, you know. Right, that's why you were their, asking me about this guy. He played their next door neighbor, Thorny. Hmm. Um, I don't remember him, but I did watch Ozzy I and did. Harriet on repeat. That actor, of all things, he opened up a barbecue restaurant. How weird. And it's very interesting how he and Walt kind of met. Walt had already always wanted the Emmy Awards to be televised. Oh. Because he figured, you know, I've got some great TV programs. I'll win some Emmys. <laughs> uh, it would be nice for people to see this. And he just never could make it happen. But actor Don DeFore, on his own, somehow got the Emmy Awards to be televised. What a guy. Yeah. And so, he, you know, basically as a thanks, uh, Walt invited him, <laughs> invited him down to Disneyland, kind of gave him a tour. And he, he had, uh, he was a, like a chef back in college, in his college days. And he asked him you want to open up a restaurant <laughs> and he and his brother opened up the uh the silver banjo barbecue what a time yeah to just be asked by walt disney if you want to open up a restaurant yeah and he was an insane tenant because he would like he didn't like that there were umbrellas kind of like in the way of of his restaurant he mm. basically he tried to 
rearrange things, lights or whatever, <laughs> or trying to call people into his restaurant in ways that really wasn't quite pleasing to the park. Uh, so what happens they, when you ask a random guy to open a restaurant? Well, he's not random. He's an actor, you know, from The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet mm. and other things. But anyway, uh, the other issue is that the it, the kitchen for that restaurant and also the Aunt Jemima restaurant right next door were microscopic, just mm. tiny, not big enough. Uh, so eventually they combined the kitchens and kept the one restaurant, and they closed that one down in I believe 1961 also. Oh, well, what are you going to do? But yeah, so uh, I had mentioned earlier the Indian uh, village. That actually was uh, when the park opened, where kind of like in the corner where Adventureland and New Orleans Square are now, even parts of um, what are now the Jungle Cruise, it was way back there alongside the, uh, the railroad. Uh, eventually, they um, in 1956 they they got moved to down by the river to kind of where the haunted mansion is now, mm-hmm. and they had a whole thing where they um, like several different um, nations of the uh, Native Americans would p- present authentic dances and and um, carvings and things like that, and and then even later. They went all the way farther back to where Bear Country, or Critter Country, is now. Um, yeah. And they they had a thing uh, where you actually, part of the walkway, you actually go through a kind of like, like a, a hole through <laughs> rock. Kind of okay. go through a... A, a rock hole? Uh, yeah, kind of <laughs> like that. To get to it, it was a very strange <laughs> thing. Um, but yeah. And but it was always a dead end back there. Um, but they eventually, the Indian uh, village, they came upon all kinds of labor issues, and they were um, left by 1971. But just in time for Bear Country, which was carved out of Frontierland, uh, which is where they put in the Country Bear Jamboree, which actually premiered at Walt Disney World first. Mm. But it was originally intended for. Uh, Mineral King, which oh, was a, right. a ski yes. resort that Walt was going to put uh, where uh, Sequoia National Park and King's Canyon National Parks are right now. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but another part that was um, carved out of Frontierland was New Orleans Square. Um, they were originally wanting to add, you know, Walt is already always fascinated with the uh, city of New Orleans, mm-hmm. and he wanted to have a whole land based off of that and so that's when that um, that chicken plantation was moved and uh, not moved it was I got the axe got the axe and they basically started digging a a tunnel not, or like a basement for the wax museum that they were going to have for the Ooh. pirates and then they realized wait we got to do this whole world's fair thing <laughs> and so they actually put that on hold and that's that's when they found out you know, the It's a Small World boots from there. Ah, and yes. they said, wait, we have to start all over. And so they literally started over, and that's when they built the, the Pirates building behind the park. And so that area where uh, uh, Noron Square was, that was basically a giant construction zone for like five years. And I and, know the feeling. And same with the, uh, the Haunted Mansion. Uh, they had built yes. the, the the haunted mansion was there house. For so long. Yeah, for an, they built it in 1963, and they didn't actually put the attraction there until 1969. So, and that's actually you know kind of where the uh, they actually had that and the Indian Village all at the same time. And then part of the Indian Village they actually had what were initially called Indian Village War Canoes. That came from that. Those were from 1956. Another. Uh, boat traffic, if you will. So many um, boats. Yeah, that actually came, uh, started out there, and they were eventually renamed the Davy Crockett Explorer Canoes. Back Which in makes sense. Like, why didn't they call them that to begin with? I don't know because it was uh, interesting because the the Indians were always friendly. At that point, I don't know why. Hmm. I don't know why they called it that. <clears throat> and those were still open up until 
recently, weren't they? The Explorer canoes? Yeah. They're open to this very day, kind well, of. Yeah, like until the park was yeah. open. No, yeah, they're still going. Because I've been on them. I actually yes, did something I, that's old. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I love going on those Explorer canoes. Here's a they're hack. They're a workout. They're, they're a workout if you work out. <laughs> Here's a hack for you. That's true. Don't tell everyone that. Then no, no one, then no, the boat I, will never move. Well, I tell you, not everyone's going to listen to this. But <laughs> I go on there, and maybe I don't row as much. Maybe I take a little more pictures than rowing. Because eventually they do come, come across people who don't row. And, you know, the, the two guys or ladies who are on the uh, boat, they actually can get the job done. <laughs> I, their job but is you'll to, be shamed. Yes, they do shame you. But, you know, what are they going to do? Throw you in the river? I bet they wish that they could. But in all honesty, even wi- if you are rowing, it's a totally unique Yeah, no, it's fun unless, point. like, the it sun is, is beating down on you. Oh, yeah. If you're prepared for yeah. that, then it's it just, is fun. It's a very unique thing. And, you know, they've already gotten rid of them from Walt Disney World. They do still have them in Tokyo. Uh, but it's just a very unique, fun thing. I bet everyone rows in Tokyo. Did they, you row in Tokyo? Yes. Okay, good. I mean, come on. Although I didn't also take a lot of photos. Shame to your family <laughs> if you did not do that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So, so is I that believe, it? Well, there actually was one more quote-unquote attraction. And that, of course, is the park's oldest attraction, the petrified tree. Oh, right. You know. That wonderful gift. <laughs> Yes, Walt actually uh, came across this in the Pikes Petrified Forest in Colorado, and he thought, self, this would make a great anniversary <laughs> gift for my wife. And so he presented it to her in 1956 on their 31st anniversary. And she said, wow, And she thanks. said, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> wow, Just thanks. what I wanted. Um, you know what? Let's put that at Disneyland. I don't really have any place for that giant thing on my mantle. Uh, why don't you put it in the park? And it actually took them a full year to install it. It was until the, their 32nd anniversary when they Weird. actually had a little uh, dedication. It was um, just in the garage until then. I guess. Actually, no, it was actually in the forest. It was still oh. in Colorado. Weird. It took them that long to uh, get it out there and <laughs> it's install It's very it. heavy. Yeah, he literally you know, went along the petrified, or the, yeah, that petrified forest <laughs> in Colorado, picked it out and said, I want that mm, one. Wow. And during that time, actually, that petrified forest came up for sale because it wasn't part of the national park what system is it, or is it like still that. there now I, i'm not sure i need to look into that but That's the owner knowing that walt you know was interested yeah. in this petrified tree actually came to walt and said would you like to buy the whole thing and, and they had to tell him no. that's okay <laughs> i'll just keep the one tree wow <laughs> and now it's just a weird thing that people sometimes take I photos of i mean yeah know. it's a very Uniquely, I haven't Disneyland waited uh, too much in line for it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, it's just one of those very unique, fun Disneyland curiosities. But yeah, that pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you want to build a time machine and go back I to know. original or like mid-range Frontierland time frame, then I don't know what will, because it makes me want to do that. Yeah, it makes me want to do it, and I. I actually did get to experience it. I wanted to kind of go farther back in the past and see all the things that I missed. Because you know, my first visit to the park was on my fourth birthday, 1974. So, yes, I did get to see uh, some uh, of the mine train through nature's wonderland. But you missed out on the stagecoaches? I missed out on stagecoaches, Conestoga wagons, and even the mule pack. You said you went on the mules. Turns out, my mother told me, no, I went on the mules at Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> you just remembered during the course of this recording? Oh, I don't know. You told me in the beginning that you went on the mules. Apparently, I was wrong. Okay. I have been on no mules at Please Disneyland. Please do not do further fact-checking on this episode. I thought I had, but no. The okay. dates well, don't work out for me. at least you remembered it. All right. Well, yeah. if it was there until... No, this was there till 77. Oh, okay. So the mules were gotten rid of in 1960. I believe no, no, it was 19, 1974, 19, uh, right around there, oh, okay. right so around you probably my just first missed them. Yeah, I just missed. Who's them, gonna like, put a baby on a mule? Nobody. Uh, <laughs> my mother probably would have. 
I will have to get back to you. I'm going to check with her because right. I'm not totally sure. We'll do an addendum if we find out you have been on there. My mother's definitely been on there. But I hope that I have. <laughs> but I definitely don't remember it. All right. Well, I certainly enjoyed our trip through nature's wonderland and frontierland. Oh, yeah. And we hope you did, too. And we will be doing further deep dives of fun Disney lands and yeah, worlds. and I, Who knows where we'll go. I know. Because there exactly. is so much more to, to explore. Yes. So if you're listening to the podcast, we do encourage you to watch the video because they're going to be new and exciting, a kind of a highlights version with graphics and Ooh. visual delights. Yeah. And there are plenty of those. Yeah, exactly. There's going to be plenty of visual aids for this. So to do that, you have of course, we'll head to youtube.com slash Xanaland, where Up the Waterfall lives and breathes. And uh, you can subscribe there and like all of our videos so that YouTube knows we are, you know, putting out some good stuff. And then if you are watching the video, hello. Howdy. And you want to hear the whole thing and all those hilarious jokes that we told. <laughs> That you're not hearing uh make sure you listen to the audio version on uh, wherever you get your podcasts apple stitcher spotify i don't know what we're on we're on everything just yeah, look for up the waterfall there <laughs> and you will find us um there will also be a blog post with all of these links in it Ooh. at xanaland.com so you can find that out but i assume if you're hearing this then you've figured something out by then so we thank you again for joining us, and we'll, we'll see you next time up the waterfall. Bye now.